welcome NFL football fans. It's that time again. Time for another edition of NFL Football Talk. I'm your host, Charles E. Smith Jr. Here I am. My This is the playoff, so I am the wizard of playoff prognostication here. You see the glasses and everything. I just kind of go kick into another mode when it becomes playoff time. We're down to the final four. 16 teams began, and here we are. It's uh, getting right down there. So, Actually, not 16. I'm sorry. I'm an NHL fan, too. They start with 16. NFL, not with with so many. But anyways, let's get down to it. As you know, we do this every single week. This is an Inside Sports production, which is presented by Humanica Media. And I do not work alone here. I do enlist the help of only the very, very best. So everybody, a lot of you already follow my co-host on Twitter. You follow him at Chris L Sports. That's at Chris, C-H-R-I-S, the letter L, and then Sports. He is a proud graduate of Rutgers University, and he is my very favorite East Coast intellectual. Here he is from somewhere in an undisclosed location in beautiful Southern California, Chris Lardieri. Hey, Chris, what's happening out there, man? Chris, Charles, uh, Chris, uh, Charles, great to be back as <laughs> always. Pre- <laughs> oh, man, I know. At least I'm not going to say anything about San Diego. But, um, yeah, thank thank you, and uh, – introduction and you know i'm noticing a recurring theme here in the playoffs the they seem to be the barn burners especially the late ones and the good news there are no saturday games this week that'll be duds yeah that's true so we recap just last week uh the final four and how did they get here well we had the philadelphia 15 to 10 over atlanta and the nfc other nfc game uh the Fantastic game was on uh, Sunday. That was Minnesota 29-24 to by the narrowest of margins over the New Orleans Saints. And then in the AFC, Jacksonville, they go up 21-0 on Pittsburgh, hold on to win 45-42. to And uh, New England, not a whole lot of problem, 35-14 to over Tennessee. But the game of the weekend, which we talked about that last week, it would be New Orleans and Minnesota – and, uh, you know, a very special ending to that game, Mr. Lardieri, looking at uh, the point spreads and such. Ah, yes, I can speak to that well. So I want to thank my brother-in-law, Stephen, who went to Vegas. I didn't take my own advice and bet the Jags getting the points, although I should have. But I did have the Saints getting five and a half, and I was sitting here anxiously watching the conclusion of that game. And right before that drive started, you know, my 10-year-old son, who I guess is on degenerate gambler now knows about point spreads because I told him, well, the Vikings score here, they just can't kick the extra point. And the, the gambling gods in Vegas were listening. I'm one of those lucky people who, by the narrowest of margins, thanks to Case Keenum taking a knee and realizing the implications of the point spread, I covered by half a point. It's a lesson to all you youngsters out there. Uh, don't gamble. It's dangerous. It's stressful. And you have to worry about things like people going nuts on the field and the refs having to round them up and hoping they don't even kick the extra point. Exactly. So, and for those of you not in the know, you know, Saints had, were actually a five and a half point underdogs. And then that was a, the New Orleans, excuse me, Minnesota wins by five points. Had they kicked that extra point, they would have won by six and everyone who bet on Minnesota would have won. But instead everyone who had the Saints plus 5.5, they actually won that. But that agonizing, after that, that final touchdown is scored, the pandemonium breaks loose, and just how agonizing it must have been for those who really bet significant amounts, just sitting there in the sports book with this extra point pending. And, you know, the, only, the other thing is, is were that the Patriots who were favored by five and a half, 
I tend to think Bill Belichick would have kicked that extra point. Oh, absolutely. He'd love to rub it in. And you know, I don't think he even knows. I mean, I'm sure he knows what a point spread is, but he mm. probably doesn't even care. Or who knows? He probably even knows which way the money was, was laid in Vegas at that point in time. But yeah. And, and, you know, another thing, like, you got to feel bad for uh, my brother-in-law. Steve had a three-team parlay. I'd warned him those are those are the devil's bets. And had the Saints won, he would have won a sizable amount of money. But for whatever reason, Sean Payton, Dennis Allen, defensive coordinator, why are you not dropping seven into pass coverage? Why were two linebackers out there? I know it was a boneheaded play and a lot of hindsight. With well, I didn't want to get a penalty, and I just wanted to knock you know, knock into him and. Um, I don't know. There, there are a lot of things at, at play here. I, really, is it to the point now where defensive backs are afraid to hit wide receivers for fear of a penalty? I mean, pay them out if you have to. Uh, never seen anything like it. My good friend Stu said it reminded him of Flipper Anderson, Rams Giants back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. A walk off, but yeah, I uh, really just I was more shocked than anything. And then when the reality set in about the extra point and. Uh, now, um, from what I heard, Vegas was silent while everyone waited to see what would happen while Case Keenum got the cloud, to, the crowd to clap. Yeah, there we go. So, you know, congratulations to all those teams that made it. The only, the uh, Patriots, as, you know, the backstory to this whole thing, they're driving for their sixth Super Bowl ring, six rings for Brady, uh, quite possibly. And they're only a couple of games away now. And who would have thought at the beginning of the season, uh, we could see in this final four, we could see Tom Brady being one of the quarterbacks, but the other three quarterbacks, Blake Bortles, Nick Foles, and Case Keenum, who are essentially three placeholders. The conventional wisdom in Jacksonville is that they'd be just fine if they could replace Blake Bortles. And then you got Nick Foles, who is replacing Carson Wentz, and you've got Case Keenum, who is just keeping Teddy Bridgewater's seat warm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And and there was there was one piece I saw out there where basically Jeff Fisher had uh, two of the four quarterbacks in the championship games on his roster at, at some point and couldn't win. But that's more of a Jeff Fisher problem than it is the quarterbacks. But uh, I think the the theme now in 2017 heading into 2018 NFL season is you don't need a good quarterback. You just need a really good defense. You need a few bounces along the way. But uh, you got these backups leading their team to the championship games. I know Bortles has been a starter, but now, let's face it, he's one of the most maligned quarterbacks on a winning team anywhere in the NFL, even more so than Marcus Mariota. So I guess the good old days of the early turn of the season, Delfer were winning Super Bowls, playing on teams led by their defenses. Well, defenses and what do they all have in common? A solid run game. And we had talked about how you, they're pass happy during the regular season, but when it, be, when it comes down to playoffs and crunch time, it's about who has the strongest running attack. And, you know, we look at New Orleans getting there kind of with a running attack, even though they bogged down last week, and that's why you shouldn't fall into 17 to nothing holes before you start playing. But good running attack with the Patriots, with Latavius Murray, and, uh, you know, the, the two-headed monster there with the Eagles, with Jay Ajayi and LeGarrette Blunt, And we know about Leonard Fournette over there in in Jacksonville. But one of the things with Jacksonville against Pittsburgh, we can jump over there. Pittsburgh falling into that 21-0 hole, but as they came back, even though they fell short, but how many times are you going to allow T.J. Yeldon when he's in the game, every time he comes in the game, catches a swing pass and runs for 15, 20 yards? You you know he's getting the ball every time he comes in. And the Steelers just – 
could not defense TJ Yeldon. They let him run free every single time. Yeah, Yeldon was the unsung hero of that game, especially right. when he went out with the ankle injury, really a difference maker there. And uh, bigger picture, you, know, you and I have talked about this a lot over the years. Mike Tomlin, I mean, I'm going to go on record, really an overrated coach. His in-game management's questionable. He's supposedly a defensive coordinator, uh, has a defensive background and really can't make adjustments. Um, on the offensive side of the ball, yeah, all year Todd Haley's play calling was questioned. He lost his job. But at what point does Mike Tomlin become accountable? I mean, even Dan Fouts going nuts during the game with about two minutes left, he, he considered yeah, kicking right. it off. Uh, later in the game, could have kicked a field goal to make it a, uh, you know, up to the point where if he did get the onside kick and convert, it would only be a seven-point difference. So, um, really, I, I'm sure a lot of the loyal members in Pittsburgh feel the same way. But I think on a bigger picture, national level, uh, some of the tarnish off Mike Tomlin. Well, we'll see. You know, like I say, it takes a long time for the residue of a Super Bowl win to uh, to rub off. You know, just as just Jeff Fisher, Jeff Fisher, who didn't win the Super Bowl but went and made untold millions based on that on the Music City Miracle. But yeah, I think we if we uh, look at some of these coaches though, Mike Tomlin does he now go into that category where I think Mike McCarthy and Jason Garrett as the most overrated coaches in the league. I'm not saying Tomlin's a bad coach because he has gotten them two, two Super Bowls, winning one of them, but it comes down to overrated coach, didn't keep his team focused. They were clearly uh, looking forward to, to playing the Patriots. That's, that's what it was all about. Even he had some of his players who were chirping during the week, which you would never hear that coming out of New England, but they were talking about playing Pittsburgh before the, the game against Tennessee. So it's one of those things where I think Tomlin, I like his energy, but when it comes to the just the very fine points, the minutiae of keeping the team focused, I think that's where he falls flat. And that's where uh, with Pittsburgh, they started playing once they were down 21-0 and the reality of losing that game set in. Then they started playing, even though they came up short, but there was no reason for them to fall into that hole in the first place. Completely agree, and, and and especially to your point about them losing focus. You got guys on Twitter, like teenagers, boasting about how they're looking forward to playing New England, and that already happened once this year before they played the Patriots in the regular season. They had a couple duds leading into those games. So yeah, bad job by Tomlin. I mean, I know they're grown men; and they get paid to do their job, but you've got to keep that team focused. Yep, there you go. And then uh, talking about Jacksonville, though, we talk about leadership that comes from the top and filters down with the team. Tom Coughlin, who initially when Jacksonville was a was an expansion team back in the 90s, he took them to the AFC Championship two games, two years in a row. And now he gets, he's president of football operations. There they are back on top. And special assistant is John Idzik. You remember, he was the GM. <laughs> for the New York Jets in 2013 and 14. And there was all the things, remember the uh, flag saying, fire John Idzik flying outside the Jets practice. It was supposedly all his fault. Well, 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 well. <laughs> Perhaps the problems are a little bit higher than the GM sometimes. Yeah, they are. But in, in kind of Idzik's uh, defense, the guy was a capologist. He was in over his head in that job. I really don't think he's a... He's a number one guy. And, and even with Coughlin, look, I love Coughlin, but um, a lot of these draft picks that were built up on the defensive side were prior to his tenure, though, for two of the remaining major last pieces 
pieces of the puzzle, a bruising running back in Fournette, and Doug Marone, who by all accounts was an excellent coach and just got fed up with Buffalo and Buffalo, who can blame him, who has kind of been that really has done a good job. And I'm I'm sure, you know, Sean McDermott's a nice coach in Buffalo, but years and I think the Bills fans would rather have Marone over Rex Ryan, don't you? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. It's just that uh you just can't uh, overstate how much just attitude coming down as far as you, you can have the players, but it's about having the right attitude coming into the end of the game, the right attitude, the right focus, the right philosophies. And I think that's an intangible that Tom Coughlin has always brought no matter where he's been. Yeah. And I think the key to them this weekend, and we'll get into it when we analyze the game. I mean, at some point, Coughlin, that he is kryptonite to Bill Belichick's Patriots. Strap on the headphones, get your face beat red in the cold, and pretend you're coaching. It'll really fit, freak out Belichick and Brady and et cetera. <laughs> okay, well, we'll see. And, you know, let's go ahead and get into picking those uh, those two games. We're going to have the uh, early game is the Jacksonville Jaguars in New England to face the Patriots. This is Championship Sunday coming up. And then later on, we're going to have a uh, Minnesota – in Philadelphia to see if it'll be Case Keenum or Nick Foles, who will be the starting quarterback in Super Bowl 52. But before we get into that, uh, Mr. Lardieri, you have some words of wisdom for all the fans out there? Yeah, definitely. I think as great as that Viking Saints game was, yet again, questionable officiating, a lot of these pass interference calls, I feel like it's come to the point where teams are just hurling the ball up there on third and long, hoping for a pass yeah. interference penalty. And I beg the competition committee, change the rule, go to college, make pass interference a 15-yard penalty. We all know it's hard to define a catch, but I feel like with pass interference, if two guys are pushing, the refs always seem to defer and blame the defensive back. I mean, there was one play where Kyle Rudolph was going for a ball, shoved the defensive back, who had his hands on him as well, but Rudolph literally shoved off on him to get separation, and the Minnesota fans were up in arms that there wasn't a pass interference call against the Saints. I mean, uh, it's just bogging the game down, that and the replays. I hope heading here into the last three games we can get past that, but uh, it seemed to be the, the overarching theme of the season, and it didn't fail this past weekend. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, just to just put a capper on that with the replays, what gets me about it is how long they're taking for some things that are just so clearly obvious. Like when they were reviewing the final touchdown for Minnesota when they won, and you could see he was, what, six inches away from the sideline, didn't step out of bounds. They can't review for penalties. So what in the world is taking so long sometimes when we see it on the first replay? And that's what uh, some of the announcers are saying is, why is it all of a sudden taking so long for these things that are very simple? I have no idea. I mean, figure skating judges can figure it out in less time and, and fix the results too. That's yeah, one. French ones too, yeah. Uh, absolutely. But yeah, I don't know if uh, – you know, once they once they make a decision, they got to run it by legal or compliance to approve the final decision of the review. I'm really not sure. You know, the the, the whole point was that going to New York with Al Riveron and his crew was going to speed things up, so the refs didn't have to go over to their little uh, their little hut and review it on the TV screen. But uh, not working. They've got to speed it up. I mean, do we go like the Major League Baseball is proposing? We have a clock uh, in between at bats. I don't know. Well, that's kind of what NHL had to do when they went to reviews. But, you know, we'll not go ahead and we can talk the review thing when we do a show in between. We got two weeks before the Super Bowl. We'll be able to do a show just on all the NFL issues. We'll get to it then.
But, Mr. Lardieri, let's go ahead and break this down. First game, take it away, Jacksonville at New England. Yeah, the surprising Jacksonville Jaguars. Notice I said Jaguars. They're not Jaguars, NFL announcers. <laughs> Head into Foxborough in the early game. Everyone's pretty much counted them out. They feel as though the Patriots are going to repeat, with, especially with Gronkowski back, the fact that the, the defense has turned it around after the debacle of opening night against the Chiefs. Um, here to tell you, while I do think the Patriots are going to win this game, I don't think it's going to be a pushover. Uh, Tom Brady does not like being hit. He does not like being rushed, and that's one thing Jacksonville can do. They've got two phenomenal corners in uh, Boyer and Jalen Ramsey, and with those guys shadowing Brady's targets, the Jags a little more time to rush the passer. That said, they're the Patriots. They're at home. Um, I really don't trust Jake Bo uh, Blake Bortles over Tom Brady, so going to reluctantly pick the Patriots. I know most of America doesn't want them to go back, but uh, who knows? Maybe they lose a Super Bowl this year, but that's for another show. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And, you know, that's the thing is you talk about uh, Boye and Ramsey back there at the corners, but also they got all pros at the linebacker and on the defensive line. So the three levels of defense, they have anchors at all three levels. That's really what you need as far as Jacksonville goes. And then, you know, Fournette, I think he should be 100% from everything I know. And we know about the Patriots on the other side, but it's the same thing. And, hey, Jacksonville faithful out there, you have no idea how badly I really want to call an upset here. But it comes down to the little things of the game, and that's what New England does not give you. They're not going to make mistakes that will give you the game. All the little things, the minutia of the game, they're the ones who they do that better than any other team. And, hey, this is coming from a Dolphins fan. I got to give props where it's due. So I got uh, to pick New England also. The real question is, they're a nine-point favorite, and would you take Jacksonville and the nine points? I think that's the bigger question as far as uh, which way you pick the game. Yeah, absolutely. That is going to make it interesting. And, and one more thing I think would be uh, to kind of keep your eye on is Miles Jack potentially versus Gronkowski. Uh, Jack, really a, a guy who fell in the draft coming out of UCLA, has really made a name for himself just a few years in the league. Can he cover Big Gronk? I'm, I'm looking forward to that, uh, that, that matchup on Sunday. Yep, there we go. Okay, so we're both going with New England in the early game. And then at 340, the Minnesota Vikings are in Philadelphia to take on the Eagles. And by the way, the last I checked the weather, it is supposed to be right around 50 degrees in both games. Both are outdoor games, so weather should not be a factor. So we, we look at this game, uh, I give the edge, if we look at the uh, matchups here, this is a pretty even contest. They got Minnesota favored by three, but Minnesota, I would give the edge to them on defense. Overall defense, Minnesota's defense, a little more ferocious, a little quicker than Philadelphia's defense. Running back, uh, Latavis Murray does a good job there for Minnesota, but Ajayi and Blunt, I give the edge to them there. And then wide receivers, Hey, you know, Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen there from Minnesota, I think have a little a little bit of an edge over Alshon Jeffrey and two. I guess Zach Ertz would be their number two guy there. But uh, and then the quarterbacks, I mean Case Keenum or Nick Foles, you just kind of wonder if one of them is gonna fold at some point. I've got to go here. This is a tough one to pick, but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go with the uh, the ground game that's really been the determining factor here even though they're going against a superior defense. I think that over the course of the game, the Jay Ajayi and, uh, and LeGarrette Blunt will 
be able to run down Minnesota just enough, and that'll be the margin of victory there. So I'm going for the slight upset here, Philadelphia going to the Super Bowl for the third time. Uh, Mr. Lardieri, what do you think? Now, we've been agreeing too much here in the postseason in 2018. I'm going to disagree. I learned my lesson last week. While I did like the Saints getting the points, I also picked them to win, and I was mere seconds away from being right. But uh, a lot of the relatives in Minnesota, including uh, Uncle Dick and Cousin Mike, are going to be happy. I'm, I'm picking your purple people eaters, and, and here's why. Um, even with this game being a late start, I looked at temperatures only going to be in the 40s. I heard an analyst say this week, oh, well, the Vikings don't play outside, and when they do, like in Green Bay, Keenum had a bad game. He wasn't throwing well. It was probably in the single digits that game, so I don't think that'll be an issue for Keenum. Uh, what I do like is I really think that the front seven of Minnesota will be able to contain that ground game. Don't forget the Vikings secondary, very underrated, gave Drew Brees fits in that first half. Then on the offensive side of the ball, the two-headed monster of Latavius Murray and Jarek McKinnon will do enough. I think the guy to watch out for, you mentioned Diggs and Thielen, who are definitely targets for the, the Eagles to keep their eyes on. Kyle Rudolph, who really had a nice year. I think if mm -hmm. Keenum can get him the ball, that could be the difference maker. I think it could be a close, low-scoring game like we saw the – the Falcons-Eagles game this past Saturday. And by the way, how Steve Sarkeesian keeps his job after that play calling late in the game, I'll never know. But uh, going to go with the Vikings. And uh, for the first time ever, we're going to have the home team go to their own Super Bowl. And if that does materialize, I, I looked, and they'll be the road team in their own stadium, which will be interesting. So Vikings is my pick. Okay, there we go. And uh, by the way, the Sarkeesian thing, I don't think that's over. So I have a, I just have a feeling that when – the next season opens, uh, 2018 opens, the Atlanta Falcons will have a new offensive coordinator because that's one thing we didn't talk a lot about the Falcons, but in this postseason, they basically got all their points off of turnovers, uh, which they did against the Eagles last week. They got 13 points off of turnovers against the Rams when they played in the week before. So two games in this postseason – and they only had, I think, two honest drives the, the entire time in, over the course of two games. So that offense is stalling out. It was about the opportunistic defense actually giving them a chance to stay in these games. And that's just way too much firepower that they have in, in Atlanta to be only be putting up 10 points in a game. Yeah, I mean, I want to say Julio Jones probably only had about three or four touchdowns this year. That That's absurd. Right, exactly. So there we go. We're both taking uh, New England to get to the Super Bowl again as Brady begins that quest for the sixth ring. And then uh, we're split on Minnesota and Philadelphia. I'm taking Nick Foles and the Eagles to get to the Super Bowl, whereas Mr. Lardieri said it's going to be the Vikings playing in a home Super Bowl for the very first time in NFL history. Okay, folks, remember every single week right here throughout the season and through the Super Bowl, it's NFL Football Talk. You can follow me on Twitter at the Inside Sports. Follow Mr. Lardy Area on Twitter at Chris L Sports. That's at C-H-R-I-S, the letter L, and then sports. And before we sign off here, uh, Chris, final words of wisdom for everyone? Yeah, absolutely. It's been a trend all year. My, uh, my underdog pick, we're down to two games, and thankfully <laughs> I do have one. Jacksonville, if you can find them getting nine and a half points, I say take it. I, I think they can – Stay in this game. I guess at that price, I guess it would have to be about a seven-point game. But the line does move. We know that the Patriots are a national team, and a lot of fans around the country like them. Who knows that line could move some more? But uh, I think they're a good underdog pick. And in the other game, I really don't feel strongly one way or the other. The line's been hovering between 
uh, Vikings giving two and a half to three. But if the Eagles get to that uh, that that coveted three and a half point spread, like I said, I think this could be a close game. While I do think the Vikings could win, much like last week, the Eagles could be a play if it ever does hit plus three and a half. But remains to be seen if that will happen. So uh, not, I'm gonna I'm gonna ride my Jacksonville underdog pick one more week, and hopefully it's profitable for you. <laughs> Okay, there you go. And by the way, I don't mention this very often. Well, actually, I do, but Chris has Jersey roots. So all this gambling stuff, he kind of knows about it because uh, he grew up with it, much like he's kind of passing the torch to uh, Master Lardieri there in your household. Eh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It's uh, like osmosis. You pick that stuff up by osmosis. You're not necessarily sitting him down and talking point spreads, but he hears it, and it's just kind of something that Floats in the air there, but I know you you raise your kids with good morals, man. I'm not saying anything bad. I don't want anyone to be misled about that. You're, you're damn right I do. Before the record, my dad was not a gambler. I just think, uh, if anything, it was moving out here to the dark side in the proximity to Vegas where I could do it legally. Now, I, I don't I don't bet illegally. I do it all in the, the wonderful state of Nevada, but uh, my, my son, I think, if anything, has become more addicted to fantasy football this year, but that's not gambling, so... Parents, don't worry. My my son's a well-adjusted kid. He just he likes watching games to see who scores touchdowns and gets his dad's team six points on Sunday. <laughs> there you go, everybody. Okay, so thanks for joining us. Remember, NFL Football Talk Inside Sports Production. For Mr. Chris Lardieri, this is Charles E. Smith, Jr. Thank you for watching. We'll see everybody next week when we will be talking Super Bowl. Frank here from Super BS, talking about the things you know you love and the things you'd love to know. Join us weekly for a podcast about video games. Mostly. Oh, yeah.